I'm Anahit, award-winning US and European certified floral designer, entrepreneur, and your host to Viva La Floral Live podcast. If you are a florist, floral farmer, floral business owner, or simply a floral enthusiast, you are in the right place, my friend. We help you by providing insights through industry professionals, their stories, and useful tips. We bring you the art and business of flowers. Welcome to the show. Hey there, guys. Today's guest is Arnold Whitcomb from Thirst, founder and creator, I guess, or the mastermind of Thirst. And this conversation was so fascinating to me, really, uh, you know, to, to hear the story, how this all began. And really more, even more fascinating is the future of the Thirst, where he would like to take it and incorporating digital flowers into the modern world so that it can actually feed you know, the spread of real flowers and plants into our world. I know if you're, if your brain is all twisted, mine was too. He definitely gave me a lot to think about after this conversation and a lot of research to do just simply because I was so interested in it. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And also he'll be speaking on the very topic of the future of floral industry at a EMC Go Live event that is coming up in July, July 13 and 14. It is a two-day packed, I mean, jam-packed event from all over the world, literally. Yes, there are people from India, Brazil, US, all over the Europe, and the list goes on. So you don't want to miss it. So check out EMC Go Live event that is coming up July 13 and 14 and listen into this episode and tell me what you think. Hello, Arnold. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm very excited. I am. I, I read all of the Thirst blogs. I received all of receive all, all of them? the emails. Um, all, yes, all and I'm, wow, okay, <laughs> very well done, and I really enjoy very much. But um, yeah, let's get started again. When I when I see your name, I'm like, ooh, this is this is great. You know, now I get to be on the other side and interview as opposed to you guys interviewing all these industry professionals and sharing the news. So yeah, how does it feel to be on the other side? A bit awkward, as we've discussed <laughs> a little bit before we started the recording. Uh, of course, English is not my uh, it's not my native speech, so I'm always a bit hesitant to go on uh, English speaking interviews because I'm. Um, I'm a I'm a real Dutch guy. I'm talking English like uh, like these Germans, um, <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to um, tell you more about what I do, where I come from, what my ideas are, why I do the things I do, and of course, I'm, I love to hear what uh, you guys from the EMC are are all up to. Absolutely. So, I think it's, uh, so I'm 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 really looking forward to have a discussion both ways because I'm also interested in, in what you do, of course. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So you guys started Thirst. Can you take us a little further back before that? What were you yeah. doing before that? Well, it's a long story, but I tried to um, make a very short recap of it. Uh, when I was 15, I started to work on the Amsterdam floating flower market, which back then was a kind of tourist market, but they were still selling plants and flowers, bulbs, wooden shoes, the clock uh, mm -hmm. for people from the city, but also people who came to visit uh, the city from Germany, from Belgium, from France. Mm -hmm. And I was basically selling plants and bulbs and uh, flowers. I then went to university. I studied economics at the university of Amsterdam and didn't really like what I saw there. I saw young guys already in suits preparing for the corporate life mm. and uh, working on a, a market you are really free and you can do whatever right. you want and then the opportunity to an opportunity came by where I could rent out a small flower shop on the Leitze Square in the middle of the center of Amsterdam mm -hmm. which I did. I quit uh, my study after seven years of studying and that's how I became a florist basically so I didn't study anything uh, I knew all the names I'm already when I was a very young I went to the garden center and bought plants for my room and I'm very curious so I studied um, bonsai I studied outdoor plants I studied bulbs I could even recognize the different tulip bulbs by looking at the oh, bulb wow. so really like different varieties yes so I'm a bit oh, mental, wow. okay in that well i started this flower shop then uh, we had a real flower shop me and uh, i was a, a friend from school then i met my wife and i was working uh, like i think every florist does every to day death. all day yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only free time i had was the sunday afternoon 
mm-hmm. Sunday morning, I went to uh, yeah, prepare the flowers for the delivery for the morning for the Monday morning, and then. A salesperson came by from the plant wholesaler where I bought my plants. And he said, mm-hmm. how are things going, Arnold? And I said, oh, I hate it. I'm fed Aww. up with my, I fe- I'm just fed up. I really like customer experience mm-hmm. yeah, where you, the one moment somebody's going to get married. And in, and the next moment, uh, somebody walks in who needs flowers for their, for example, unborn child. So and I'm a very sensitive guy, so I went through all these emotions throughout mm. the day. And after seven years working in the flower shop, I, I just felt it was time to do something else. So I went to mm. um, I went to Water Drinker Wholesaler, which is the biggest wholesale company, I think, in the world of plants, mm. and where it is a kind of customer service for mm. florists uh, in Western Europe. So what I did, I talked to all the best florists, basically, and florists from Paris who needs a uh, kind of cactus. I called the grower and I put the cactus aside so they could come and pick it up and do the other purchases. So it was a mm-hmm. kind of sales representative, customer service kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I did it with um, a lot of enthusiasm. I learned all the plant names and I'm a really a plant guy. So for me, the flower is a part of the plant. And right. for me, it, it all, and I think all flowers and all plants are just amazing mm-hmm. so i i have this love for everything which is growing i'm not that kind of an animal or a people guy so when i look at humans i always think oh you're so terrible humans <laughs> i wish you were a cactus <laughs> and and uh and with animals i've got a dog now and i like the dog of course but i'm yeah when i look at plants i'm just like oh it's so after working at the wholesaler i went to work for the best flower shop in amsterdam for another three years and then mm. I was really fed up. <laughs> yeah, with the whole flower shop part. The right. owner of the owner of the shop was yeah, nothing was ever good enough. So yeah. I learned a lot, but it was never good enough. Yeah, we had the wealthiest people as customers. I learned a lot, but then I decided, okay, never ever again I will right. have a flower shop. <laughs> right. And then I went from this and there and talking to growers, talking to wholesalers. I end up uh, being the marketing manager of a garden rose import company where we started to sell David Austin roses, uh, scented mm-hmm. roses. And there I targeted florists because that's, I think, the little bridge to why I started Thirst. Uh, I noticed that uh, when you have a difficult product as a grower or as an import company, the traders are not really into those products mm-hmm. because three reasons, I think. I think it's a three. Right. A product you cannot store in the cool chain for very long. Ah, okay. So you so you have to buy it and sell it quite quickly mm-hmm. because otherwise the quality deteriorates uh, very, very, uh, very yeah. fast. The second thing is they're of bad quality. So right. garden roses in general are difficult because they have botrytis or they have damaged petals or there's always from the bunch, they're always a couple not right. so good as the other ones. And then the third reason is they're not always available. Mm-hmm. And for a wholesaler, it's it's not nice to going to offer something which you're not sure of. You can always you can also offer it a second time. Right. And when I started working at that company, it was called the Parfum Flower Company. Mm-hmm. It's a French name and then an English word, and it's a very strange name. But it was basically a company who sourced uh, garden roses from Kenya, mm-hmm. from Ecuador, and from Colombia. Mm-hmm. And when, back then, we sold it to all the wholesalers and export company in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And you know the Netherlands, uh, the Amsterdam area with the auction. I don't know how much the percentages of the flowers are being sold, but it's huge. It's a very, oh, yeah. it's yeah. a very big, uh, it's a very big market. And we started selling difficult garden roses. Not only David Austin roses, but also uh, the Yves Piaget roses. You probably heard of the White O'Hara roses, mm-hmm, the Café Latte mm-hmm. back then. We were the first who were offering Café Latte roses, and right. the export and the export people. Yeah, we were very difficult to them because we were expensive and right. and and so then I discovered well we're just going to target florists directly and then we tell mm. florists well this is available this is what you can buy basically right. and and then kind of forcing exporters to deliver so we had customers from uh, for example France which is a big 
market for your garden roses because the right. market in France is completely different than the market here in the Netherlands. Then, and I speak a bit of French, so that's my right. advantage. And we had French people calling us. Uh, I would like to have this and this and this, but my wholesaler is not selling it. Mm. And I was asking, who is your wholesaler? And I'm not naming names now because, but it was wholesaler <laughs> X. And then I called wholesaler X. I said, why are you not? Why are you not offering these beautiful roses? Right. And he said, well, we hate those roses with bad quality. Uh, they can buy something else. They can buy Ecuador roses or they can buy Dutch roses, but not these. And then right. I said, shall I contact wholesaler Z? Because they want to do it. Because, But it's not their customer. Do you want to lose a customer? Right. And then he said, no, 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 no. I will do it. I will do it. And then basically the company grew and grew and yeah, grew and what I've learned was that when you are a grower or a breeder, eh, the people who basically create new products, how difficult it is to tell florists mm. uh, you, you exist and what you have yes. to offer and novelties and stuff. So there is... There's so many pieces to go through, so many hoops exactly. to jump through. And by the yeah. time it reaches the florist, it's... Yeah. Or oftentimes doesn't. Or they don't even know it exists. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So... And I call it the wall of the wholesaler. And I think I think the wholesalers are doing a tremendous job. I don't want to step on any toes of anyone. Right. But the wholesaler is selling because they can make profit of it. They're not selling it because it's a beautiful product or they're right. selling it for themselves. Right. And of course, you've got better wholesalers and a little bit worse wholesalers. <laughs> and I believe in the world today where every florist, if they do a bit of effort in finding out what's available, they have got access to basically everything. And every wholesaler knows they got access to everything there is. Right. So how in this uh, in this sea of hundreds of thousands of products, how are you going to tell as a grower, here I am, and this is right. awesome. Um, and that's basically why I started Thirst. So to... Mm. To, uh, to have an opportunity on the one hand to connect the grower and the breeder to the florist to talk about their, their product and on the other hand for the florist to discover what's available in the world right. and of course because we want to be on a high level with the imagery and the articles we have we also are constantly looking for flowers and plant stories a bit outside of the industry. So what are artists doing? What are yeah, what are designers doing outside of uh, the industry? Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. do photographers do who sometimes work with flowers? And that's something I think most florists can see if they know the way. And I hope Thirst will be a place where we yeah, bring all those stories together. So you have a, yeah, what, how, do you, how do you say, a kind of starting point in your right. floral discovery journey or whatever. Right. So in a way, you are trying to create this bridge to get rid of this segregated situation we have in, in, a, in a floral industry. Right. I mean, we are, we're very separated. You know, we've, the traditional floristry, floristry was very, very dry in, in essence. You know, it was kind of going, the way the supply chain went from the grower or the breeder, really, even to the grower and, and so on. Right now, I mean, the whole uh, slow flower movement, I think, is moving crazy fast in United States, at least. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how it is in Netherlands, um, but a lot of florists are buying directly from farms themselves and things like that. So they're creating new connections, essentially. So it sounds like this is very much kind of along the lines of that, you know, just a different format of it, really. But what I love that you do is you also showcase different designers, uh, different products and sort of put them on a pedestal and talk about them and how you talk about them, I think is is, is fantastic. It's what I enjoy very much when the articles come in. I, I really, truly do. So so how long has Thirst been out? It's not too long. No, no. We went live uh, September 2019. Right. Yeah. Okay. After uh, about a year of yeah, developing. Um, and of course, when you start, there's no audience whatsoever right. and uh, when i started in september 2019 with my uh, partners back then who are no longer with the company anymore unfortunately 
yeah, due to the whole COVID situation. But when we started in 2019, I was convinced by the end of the year, we would have 100,000 patients. That didn't ah. happen. It took a bit, it took a bit longer. Mm-hmm. But we started in 2019, March 2020. All not the few customers we had, they said, uh-uh, we're going to put everything on hold uh, right. because the market uh, was disastrous back then. Uh, I think you also remember the videos of the all the flowers being uh, the, discarded. Yeah. Yes, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so we did, a, for a couple of months, we did a lot of free stuff for people, just uh, promoting uh, the industry. I think we did a 70 or 80 uh, COVID, uh, yeah, we call it COVID interviews with uh, people from all over in the world and how was basically COVID uh, uh, to them. Spoke, them. Yeah. yeah, from Australia, India, the US, uh, all the countries, uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking stories. And then the summer came and supply was a bit low because uh, many growers decided not to uh, plant so much new uh, stock. Right. And demand grew and grew and grew. And today we're in a situation where there's not enough supply and the prices are sky high. Yes. So yes. one year further, and I think I think here in, in Europe, I'm not sure about how the US market is because I don't know so much about prices and I don't talk so, to so much growers in the US, but here in Europe, prices are 25 to 35% higher than the yeah, pre-COVID prices. Yeah. Same here, same yeah. here. Well, a lot of businesses went out of bit. A lot of growers went out of business as well. You know, not only that they didn't plant quite as much because they didn't know what's coming down a pike, but some did go out of business. And I agree that demand just grew because people have nothing else to do. And they sort of went back to nature, if that makes yeah. any sense, or some yeah. sort of a way of going back to nature. Yeah. At least in here in the United States, all of a sudden the flowers are having this um, renaissance, if you will. You know, everybody's... Searching for flowers, just wanting. I mean, holidays are crazier for flower shops. I don't have a flower shop. I'm a studio designer. But, you know, even in that respect, I mean, I get calls that I've never got before for flowers. I'm like, everybody wants flowers and plants in their life now. And I agree, there is definitely a shortage of product. Um, And I think a bit scarcity as well, you know, that that is creating this, this panic. If that makes any sense, I'm not in here at yeah. least. I'm not quite sure if that's that's the case in Europe. Yeah, it's not panic because in the end, uh, what people say here, it's better too expensive than not available at all. So, uh, but prices are crazy. Growers here in Europe as well as in as in Africa and in Colombia and Ecuador, finally they they get decent prices. And I think right. when this stays, I think it's good for everybody in the industry. So I think it's good if the prices are very high. I think it's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think flowers and plants is um, a luxury product. The demand in the retail, which was always very price driven, mm-hmm. also has some consequences for the way things are being produced. I see. You were talking about the slow flower movement. It's happening here too, but we have to understand the density here in the Netherlands is very high of people right. per square per square mile. So there are not so many small farms. The farms who are left here are very yeah, professional, uh, mm. large-scale factories, basically. Right. And um, what I see is that there is an awareness for sustainability which is, I think, mainly driven by the larger retailers. So mm. the IKEAs, the big supermarket chains, they really are demanding safer and better yeah, products. Mm-hmm. You know, on the other hand, as the florists, they are basically not interested at all. <laughs> so there are some florists who do organic flowers, but mm. the supply is so limited. It's right. uh, almost impossible uh, to do it. And the, the way I see it, the yeah, difference between organic and sustainable uh, produced flowers is, is not so big anymore. The yeah, pesticide level is uh, very, very low. Mm-hmm. And many, many farms have moved from the Netherlands where you needed heated greenhouses, a lot of gas to yeah, heat greenhouses, a lot of light. They've moved to Africa where the mm-hmm. sun is always shining. And right. in the end... In the end, if you look at the sustainability uh, stamp, which a flower has, when you compare a gas-heated greenhouse in the Netherlands to a greenhouse in Africa, 
and you include the transport back to here with the airplane, the roses from yeah from Africa, I believe, are much more sustainable than the flowers produced here. That's but there are many, yeah. But there are many different greenhouses here. Right? There are also right. yeah also greenhouses who pump yeah, the heat into the soil and take it back in the winter. So it's not or this or that, but the whole the sustainability movement. And I've been to Africa many, many times and see what it mm-hmm. does to the, um, yeah, what it does for the local population. And right. so I, I'm a big fan of yeah, growing in poor countries because you see that uh, people have work, their children, their economy, yeah, yeah. And for the first time, a generation goes to school. It's it's very basic as eh? always. It's because we here in the West we have everything. We can't imagine. That when you don't have work and you need wood, then you send out your, your kids to pick up wood and, and they walk for four, five, six hours to get some wood for the stove. Mm-hmm. Once yeah. they have a job, they can rent a stove on gas and the kids can go to school. It's, uh, wow. And that's a huge and that's a huge difference. And, yeah. um, and for me, fair trade, all those, all those things, leave, uh, I think it's the Wade Rose Foundation, I think. It's the things the flower industry has done for those countries is amazing, and it, it, there are always sides where you can do better, and there's always some corruption, of course. I think the slow movement is great, but I think let's have uh, poor countries, third world countries. They're not third world countries anymore. Kenya is not a third world country anymore. Mm. But yeah, producing flowers where the climate is right, I think that's only logical. Right. The funny thing is, even with the fright, even with the air fares and even on the environment, how much, you know, I mean, all those fuels from an airplane and everything else. And like you said, I mean, I, I've never even thought about this. And if you're still comparing to the greenhouses that have to artificially be brought to those kind of climate conditions yeah. for the product, and this is actually better and also it does some good for the country. It's, yeah, I, I, can, I can see how, how that would yeah. be. I went on a mission trip myself in Dominican. We actually go do dentistry, not floristry. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of uh, farms and generally they're fruit farms, you know, yeah. different kind of fruits that grow there or things like that. I've seen a lot of farms that are, you know, Canadian or European or, you know, things like that, or some U.S. that are specifically coming to use basically the goods of their climate, really, to do, yeah, all their um, agricultural efforts, essentially, and it's helping the economy. And it's kind of nice to see how that's affecting on it. You know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's interesting. My, my husband has been doing this for more than 20 years. You know, um, I'm kind of new to this particular thing. And he even say, says that when they first went, he said they didn't have hot water, no. you know, if anything, because they would go to villages, like some villages didn't even have a shower. You yeah. know, and those conditions were such. And now every village you go to, there is water running. Yeah, yeah. There is clean water running. running water, yeah. you know, and that's due to all of these changes, essentially. So yeah. I can imagine that's happening in Africa as well. Yeah. And it's also, I think, uh, when I go to you know, visit people who are working on the farm as uh, right. uh, low-schooled uh, your workers who are just cutting the roses and uh, right. their homes, uh, the floor is the ground. So, and they have these little cabins with a hole in the middle so that the smoke can go out of their homes. Mm. When those people grow older, they get lung diseases and respiratory stuff. And, and what then the farm does, they see, well, um, we were, are going to lease you a gas stove and we hold the money from your, your salary and then you don't have to burn wood anymore. A very small thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, then people say, yeah, why don't you pay those workers more so they can buy one? Paying more money to people in those countries means that uh, that's possible. But then if you're going to pay more, then maybe the doctors or the teachers earn less. And they want to work in the farm. So you also, it's impossible mm. to, to change uh, your pricing levels of the hourly wage. And it's, you make a huge impact on everybody. So it has to be slowly and steady. And I see kids now who are having, who are just having internet. They have this uh, laptop from the 90s and they have internet on it. And the access to the world, mm. which is... For us, that's the normalest thing in the world. Right. Uh, my kids, they live in a virtual game and 
they meet their friends in the game. They pay each other in the game. But those kids who, who live in Africa now have, yeah, it's a, a transition. It's a kind of a generation of yeah, transition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and looking at the farms now and what I've heard of stories of, yeah, of yeah, 20 years back where every rule was broken because a lot of people say, oh, those farmers, they, they moved to Africa because there they can still use the pesticides which are not allowed here anymore, blah, blah, blah. And it's partially true, of course. Right. But, the, but progress there is so much faster. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, let's focus here on technology and improvements of other you know, things so the, i started also to talk about the uh, yeah, breeding facilities yeah, to the the discovery of new plants and yeah, flowers that you might say oh yeah do we need another white gerbera with a yellow heart do we need another one do we it's exactly the same it looks the same it's but then it maybe it grows a bit faster or you have mm. to use a little less pesticides or eh, so and then it's for a breeder it's very important that those products are being sold and used and to get rid of the old names right. the, 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 for example the, the names of the varieties we all know but actually right. the product is not so good anymore and we have a substitute then some mm-hmm. breeders they just call it the same and they change it so you might you don't have, even notice it <laughs> you don't even notice it so, so right. you have the same color of flower which looks exactly the same it's completely different That's in the genes and in the DNA. So, and and that thing when you're creating new flowers, new plants, and having your growers, uh, you're growing these and helping them to tell fifty percent of the market. Fifty uh, percent of the market are florists, are floral uh, designers. They need to have a place where they can be, where they can be. On the one hand, they can be influenced, which is a bit of a negative word, maybe. But they can discover this, these uh, stories, and they can learn right. about. Uh, they can learn about not only design, but they can also learn about, uh, yeah, about the trade, creating stories to tell to right. their customers. Right. Um, I think. I think a lot of it is about storytelling, and uh, mm-hmm. I think when you have a flower shop, I've been in a in a flower shop for a total in a flower shop for ten years, and on the market, which is a very different kind of, of shop for a long time. But it's all about stories. Mm. I think uh, when you are a, a designer for a wedding or for a funeral, or you just make an arrangement for somebody who walks into your shop. It's always a story, That's and true. Uh, and I think there's so many beautiful stories to tell. Mm. And you told me in the beginning you are reading all of this. I don't even have the time to read everything, so I'm sometimes. I love if, so I, I, some of the articles. I truly enjoy. I mean, I'll just come through. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's exciting. Hang on, yeah. let's, let's read that. So yes, it is. You know, it it kind of shows you not just through thirst and everything else that you're saying and all of these changes that are happening it's all about you're saying the stories of course it is all about the story it's 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 education i feel like that the core of all of this is really education right this yeah. is how we're going to connect the dots you know yeah. if i learn more about the breeding process the growing process as a, as a designer as a result i'm going to be more aware of it and less crazy demanding from my wholesaler or the grower per se, knowing what it takes to do certain things, or if something came in at a different color, you know, and things like that, and having that information, and then relaying that to your customer, you know, hey, understand that, you know, we will create something that is going to be telling your story the way you want it to, but it may not just be that particular flower in it, you know, but it'll do the job, whatever's going to be in there. Exactly. And I think it's also adding value in the end. I think the more you know about anything, uh, the easier it is to sell and the easier Mm -hmm. it is to, I'm a very commercial, I was always a very uh, yeah, commercial person. So I, it's always, I think if you are in business, you, you buy something for your $1 and you sell it for two. There must be some yeah, profit in there. Uh, but that's not all. So I think it's it's a kind of win-win-win situation. You're, and most customers don't know what they want when they walk in. Or they think sure. they know, or they think they know, but they've got it all wrong. <laughs> right. uh, and those are the most satisfying things to do. People who are walking, who've got an image of, of something. Mm. And basically you as a salesperson, designer, as salesperson person slash designer, because because you want to put something in of yourself as well as a designer. Of course. So you want to basically change the 
the image they have um, and do what you want to do, basically, and not forcing it on your customer, but having the customer experience your vision. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, when your customer says, oh, it was amazing, it was fantastic, that's the most rewarding thing there is. Right. Instead of just people coming with a, a Pinterest picture and you basically reproduce it, not knowing why you're doing it. True. Uh, and I think when you talk about education, I think education is on the one hand is the techniques and uh, and the knowledge about uh, the treatment, mm -hmm. the naming, and all the rest is stories. So where right. did it, where, where did it come from? Who was the first person to discover it? Mm. Uh, the yeah, Gloriosa Rothschildiana is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. That this banker Rothschild who had all the money in the world and was sending out all these people to the forests, and the, only the most beautiful yeah, flower got his name. Right. So okay. when you and when you have a, a Gloriosa Rothschildiana, I don't think there are many florists who put on the sign a Gloriosa Rothschildiana. But if you do that, you have a story. Mm. And the customer walking in your shop, shall I use these a Gloriosa Rothschild? By the way, do you know the name Rothschild? Most people say, yeah, those are those bankster criminals. <laughs> 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 but it's got a story. Right. And, and 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 then yeah then you know then when the bride has got this gloriosa in it and she's talking to her dad he said did you know right so everlasting memories oh that was beautiful yeah. thank you okay yeah. yeah yeah it is and it's it's knowing the why really right why it is why are we doing what we're doing knowing who we're doing it for and what yeah. is the end result essentially we're trying to get get to or, or, or get it or you know or the experience or the feelings we're trying to evoke with what we're doing as designers i mean that's how i, I always think of it you know yeah i never say what is it going to look like i always talk to my clients what do you want it to feel like and they and, look at me like i'm crazy i'm like no yeah. no like don't worry about the look it's gonna look fine <laughs> yeah. what do you want it to feel like what kind of emotions do you want to get out of it when you see it yeah. and you as a person you as a designer and don't you want the audience to yeah, clap at you to say, well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, and that's how I see most yeah, floral yeah, designers. So, so most florists, and I was one myself, and I was working for one of the best in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're living in this black box. <laughs> this black box, there's nothing outside. And sometimes a little light comes in, and that's when somebody walks in the door. You can look outside and you see some sun shining, or you see it raining, and then the door closes, and the person is inside your black box. And then you are yeah, creating, you are creating, mm -hmm. you're doing your best. And then the customer goes, <laughs> and then you say, thank you. Right. And then the customer walks out because yeah, most florists, they work 60, 70, 80 hours. They're happy to drink a, a, a glass of wine at seven uh, after work. And then when they got a note of uh, a, a very happy customer, they said, thank you so much for making this sympathy wrath for my father mm. that's what i think i think as a designer as a creator that's that's why you, it, it's it's a bit it's it can be seen as a bit negative or something it's something external you what you need but i think yeah why else mm. because i think we work with the most beautiful products in the world flowers are like magic when i give you a daisy i get this is a daisy and i give it to you there's, there's something special between us it's only a daisy, and if it's a, a if it's a rose, it's completely different. And only flowers can basically do that. Right. So, and I think that's magic. I think I think we work with magic, and um, that's that's why the, that wholesaler he doesn't see is that magic. He just yeah. sees profits, Number, numbers, logistics. We have to put it in boxes and right. ship it through. Ah, oh, she's complaining again, this awful florist. Right. Why doesn't she understand that this is also good? <laughs> <laughs> you understand? Well, and, and, no, and I, yes. It's, and I think yeah. they, they do their part, but they, and their part is doing awesome logistics and awesome financial mm. support. And In the same think, breath. Go ahead. Yeah, I think when they do that well, then you have got the best wholesaler there is. True. In the same breath, I would say many designers have a really hard time with keeping their business under control. 
when it comes to numbers and things like that. It's not about they, the business. It's not about the business. Right. What I mean, though, is it, it. this is why it becomes so difficult sometimes and heartbreaking to see so many florists work so hard and not make profit. I do think that there is a fine balance between all of that, where you can actually run a lean business without killing yourself and leave room for that creativity to still come out, I feel like it'll be much more joyous as well, you know? I think so, but I think- Not having that level of stress. I think it's only for a few. Yeah, I agree. And and I think it's yeah. also a choice in the end. It's uh, most florists I know, they do it for the audience. True. They don't do it for the money. Yeah. And the ones who do it for the money, some of them are just awful designers, but they're no florists. Mm. They're just like wholesalers. <laughs> right. So, so and and some florists who are really good in designing and also make a profit, but they are very rare. Right. And right. I think they should also tell their story. So how they see it and how they do it. And right. And see, and I think, and I think that is one of the biggest heartbreaking things for me to see for our industry, specifically for designers, honestly. And I um, I mean, I personally stopped doing weddings uh, a few years back and it was a decision I made because it was not sustaining. I still continued competing. I still continued designing and it was more fun. But when I started getting back into it, I'm like, okay, so I want to do weddings, but I want to do this right. I want it to be profitable and not stressful right? So I had to sit down and dial it back and tighten up the business. Um, you know, unfortunate enough that COVID happened right after I made that decision, right? As I was making that decision and I was being given this time that I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know, redirect and reshift and rethink and all those things. So that's what happened for me. And it all ended up being really a good thing for me in a way. I, it was something I didn't ask for. So it just... I was given at the mm -hmm. time, you know, yeah. the, right? The most valuable thing we all have. You know, I'm like, okay, well, let's do something with this. And honestly, I am on a mission to demolish starving artist mentality, the way of thinking from florists. It hurts my soul. It's such a taxing job. It's so, it really is. It truly is just physically difficult, but so rewarding. And it can be so much more rewarding if you do your business in a way that it leaves you that, breathing room where you can actually freely create you know yeah, it's just yeah, true yeah, i think it's yeah. possible but i agree there are far for some yeah for some yeah um and i think if you are yeah creative you know, and the i think the number one reason most people start in the industry as a florist is because they feel they are creative mm -hmm. um most creative people don't start Think about okay. I'm gonna run a business. I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make some money. I do want to do the 60 hours, but then I want to be compensated. Ah, I like flowers. <laughs> it's always. I think it's. I think it's. I think there should be. But there should be. But that's what I think. Also, uh, you are doing with uh, the EMC. But there should be some organizations where I think florists who are open-minded to it and they see well this is uh not sustainable for me for my health or for uh, mm -hmm. my private life how can i change and be more yeah, profitable right uh, i don't think there are so many programs for that so i agree yeah i agree and i 100 agree with you there are business classes and things like that but oftentimes um they're more geared towards hey, here's what I did. You do this and it's going to work. And I think yep. the biggest mistake we make when it comes to business and marketing and things like that as an industry, oftentimes we don't look elsewhere. We are in our bubble. And in order for us to to do better, we got to look at other industries that are doing it better, right? This is where we learn and cross-pollinate. And I think, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I see. They're, they look at other florists, what they did, instead of looking at some other companies that are just so good at what they do, yeah. you know, in their own realm, um, you know, in, in any case. But yeah, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm as passionate about design and flowers as I am about business nowadays. It's, it's kind of crazy. But, and again, for me, I want to see more florists actually having a path to retirement and savings as they're working their butts off you know, and killing themselves for the sake of earth, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's such a hard balance and double-edged sword, but 
Now, why, why, why are you not going to write it on Thursday about it? Do a monthly blog about how to improve your floral business? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, why I, not? I may take you up on that. Yeah. Because we're, what, I'm, what I'm trying to create with Christy from EMC, we're actually trying to create a mastermind for florists that is designed in mind, but it is business driven and not in a way. So a lot of programs, when you go attend, you go attend and they talk at you the entire time mm -hmm. or give you nowadays on Zoom or digital form of a sword, they talk at you and then off you go. And then you go home and you're pumped and you have this 20 things that you're going to do. You accomplished one or two because you're still pumped. You're under that aura of this cool energy you got from this thing that you just learned. And these are the things that you do that you're most excited about, not necessarily the things that are going to help your business the most, right? Sure. This is what we do. We do what's easy, what's fun, what's comfortable. We don't do what's really difficult. And what's really difficult is what's going to help us essentially. And then we hit a wall of loneliness because you now you're like I'm by myself nowhere to go nobody to ask questions I know there's Facebook groups and things like that but then it's like drinking out a fire hose you ask a question and you get bombarded yeah, with a thousand yeah. different things yeah. it's like okay so what do I do it all becomes this big noise and as a result most people do nothing so they spend all this time and energy and effort and money yeah. perhaps learning something taking one thing out of it and then not accomplishing much of anything and our mastermind is designed for them to be in the program for as long as they want to but at least a year right so they yeah. can stay along with that so they can actually have this monthly coaching calls so they know hey i have somebody to, who i can lean on it's a bit different you know it's just yeah. every program i've attended to it's been like that for me you know i'm like okay this this was great valuable information but half of start. those things don't yeah. even apply to me you know yeah. and yeah and and where do you start what's first what's next you know yeah. so yeah i mean that's that's um anyways i can talk about it all day <laughs> it's such well, a touchy should. subject <laughs> <laughs> I do want to ask you about EMC for sure, because you're one of the speakers. I'm so, so excited. But before that, what's next for Thirst? Where, where do you want to take Thirst to? I started Thirst with the idea in mind to uh, build a bridge yeah, between grower, breeder, and buyer, so mainly floral designers, uh, by creating content, uh, mm -hmm. creating an audience. Um of course, when the audience grow, business opportunities arise. I'm right. not sure. Of course, I have a couple in mind, which I think, oh, that would be awesome. This would be awesome. This would be awesome. But I think when the audiences rise and we can be the... Uh, we can be a kind of brand of the global culture in the flower industry on a bit of a high level. I don't like high and low so, so much, but you've got the Vogue and it's, mm -hmm. it, it's got a bit, it needs to be a bit Vogue-ish, but we really would like to be there as being an authority when it comes to flowers and plants, mm. where everybody feels happy with. Right. Um, I've got so many great ideas. If you won't tell anybody else, I will tell you a few. But they're just you're, you're they're about just, to tell the world. I know, I know. But they're, <laughs> they're they're only idea at this. Of course, Thirst will never be an owner of plants or flowers, or will be a trader. So we will never be a danger to existing companies. Mm -hmm. Having said that, <laughs> I think when you look at the needs of the growers and mm -hmm. the breeders when they create new products and the need of top floral designers to be different and to have new stuff and to be connected with introductions, I think there's a gap which needs to be fulfilled. How mm -hmm. cool would it be that you could subscribe to be one of the florist members of a new club where you have first access to new products. Uh, yeah, <laughs> every yeah. designer would. And then you say, well, I as a grower, I have this, but I need right. some info from you back. So I also need some info back. So it's a give and take. So right, right. they won't charge you the full monthly, but they need something in return. And right. further down the road, when a variety is good and they want to plant more so they want to sell mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. then you might be asked well maybe you could do some promotion for me with this product you are the one of the six florists in the world with now these hundred stamps and um, you can tell your customer i'm the one of six in the world with this new <laughs> whatever it is so that that right. could be that could be one uh, that could be the one um uh so and it's it's not thirst who is going to sell it but we are going to be 
the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I like to have all the florists be a blogger on thirst. So I, I'm a, well, we get, we get requests for publish on thirst quite often, but I hope that many, many florists uh, see thirst as a kind of stage for themselves. And when you do that well as a floral designers, there are many growers who would like you to support you with your flowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will not be financially supporting anyone who will publish any anything because that's not our place to do that. Of course. But you can connect with your growers. And if they want to compensate you to write something on thirst, then who am I to know or to have an opinion right. about it? Huh? So I see thirst. Uh, I hope that thirst would, we now have about, I think, 100 bloggers who have on average given us two articles last year. So that would be my request to your audience. If you are a floral designer and you have something to tell, you have something to say, you have a story, then please send it to us. Not too much words, 300, 500, (laughs) but a lot of pictures because that works well. And everybody is interested. And then Mm. we have access to all kinds of your growers all around the world who are eager to get in touch with you because they want to be connected with real florists doing real business right. and giving real feedback. Right. So, right. What, so what happens now is when a breeder grower has something new, who are they going to ask if it's okay? Well, tell me, who are they going to ask? Us, the designers. No. No? no. Who are we how, asking? How? How? They go, well, they, go to the, they go to the wholesalers. Nowadays they do. But I, I mean, hopefully that's changing, right? I thought we're talking in the future now. That's what we are doing with Thirst. We're <laughs> okay, okay. It. That's why I said ask the designers. So that's the dream. So now they go to a wholesaler. And ah. what does the average wholesaler look like? Mm. He's male God. and he's 50 plus. And all they care is about, well, not average, all, but mostly. There are also yeah. good ones. There are, there are many good ones. Yeah. And what yeah. are they thinking about? How Is many do, how many do fit in one bucket? How long yep. they last in the cool store? That's true. How much do they cost? Yeah. What can I ask for it? Yeah. And then the yeah, it's another white chrysanthemum. <sighs> Who cares? Right. And then maybe when they show it to you, you say, well, ah, there's a little bit of pinkish in this white chrysanthemum. <gasps> <laughs> because now when I go to a chrysanthemum breeder. And they are making new whites. And when they have a little bit of a pinkish hue, they all throw them away because the market doesn't want them. That's what they say, because it's not white. It's not pink. So I cannot sell it. Mm, I see. In the mix, it has to be white or pink or, or, or yellow. Mm, interesting. And you understand that these breeders, they make thousands of new varieties every, every year. And I'm sure when you walk there with a group of your florists, you will pick out completely different varieties because you say i've never seen that before and then the breeder will tell you yeah we always throw that because nobody wants it mm. That's so, so we can change we can change the world we can make yes really, I believe so when when your florists are in touch with the breeder directly and with the growers many more beautiful products will be brought into oh, the market 100 percent agree it's it's funny you're saying this. I interviewed Joey from um, Alexander Farms. Yeah, and I know he was him telling, really well. Yeah. yeah, and he was telling a very similar story about a rose when he said, um, you know, I think he said it was when EMC actually had a field day there, right? When they all visited, he says they just, they all were gravitated to this thing that was just sitting on the side and nobody really, like, oh, no, no, we're not. Nobody wants that. They're like, no, 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 we, we, we want that. Bring that on. And some of the new varieties kind of just happened because designers were coveting those, those, you know, um, yeah. strange, not um, middle of the road colors or varieties and the unique or different, if that makes any sense, or just yeah, um, transitional like, colors. Yeah, floppy stems or something. Yes, it's just a, something that's just different. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it's kind of interesting. And oh man, I I really one of my bucket list items is to really visit farms as much as I possibly can and breeders as much as I can. I really enjoy seeing the process behind it. I really enjoy seeing the people behind it and the work it takes it 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 gives a very different kind of respect to the product for the beginning uh, to start but also a very different kind of perspective and i feel much better and more confident in talking to my clients you know yeah it's it's it changes the game so much it does it does yeah it does and i've 
I've been visiting uh, yeah, David Austin Roses in the UK a couple of years mm-hmm. back. And you see how many cuttings they make every year. Because when they crossbreed right. the roses, eh, they have to be uh, pollinated and then they plant a seed. After two years, sometimes three years, you have the first flower. Mm. And they make thousands, hundreds of thousands of... And then 90% is not flowering, is not growing fast enough. Right. Uh, it's disease, blah, blah, blah. And then a couple of them are really beautiful. And then people are going to pick which one is going to be the new white David Austin rose. Right, and right. That's takes, interesting. Takes, well, 15 years before you have a commercial yeah, rose. And then they bring it to Joey. And then he right. can, and then he's going to test it. And then they bring it to yeah, Tambuzi in Kenya. They're going to test it. Then they're going to grow it in yeah, Japan. And they're going to test it. And in all these different altitudes with different climates, they grow Great different product. Yes, yes, different fragrances, different leaves, different everything. Fascinating, and absolutely uh, fascinating. We have so many, uh, so many different breeders around here, and and they've got breeding houses, especially for yeah, Colombia, for yeah, Kenya, for yeah, Russia now. Yeah, completely different varieties, completely different character, completely different characteristics. Right. Huh. I mean, that's just to me fa- absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, do you sometimes go to the Netherlands or, or have you ever I've, been here? I have. Um, I thought I was going to get killed by the bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that many bicycles on the road in my life. Yeah. I, I thought Belgium had a lot of bikes when I got to We've got Amsterdam. more bikes than people. I, you know, and okay, so um, <laughs> Dutch people are tall. They're very statuesque, if you will. And they ride those bikes better than they walk, I think. I mean, Mm -hmm. I ride a bike, but I would not feel confident riding a bicycle on the streets there. And I was so confused at times where the actual street and the bike road and the sidewalk was because it was all kind of felt like the same. And here's this statuesque person on man or woman on a bike going right next to you. I'm like, oh my God, this is so intimidating. And it was... Amazing. But I did go to the floating market. I only yeah. had a day to spend there. I was a bit underwhelmed by that. You know, yeah, I, I, it's a yeah, tourist market had, now. There's no, yeah. there are no, there are no flowers anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I had this idea in my head, you know, and no. I went and I was like, ah, that's it. Okay. I, I was 15. It was 93. I started there, 1993. Mm. So that's a long time ago. And then it started. When people were selling uh, your tourist stuff and t-shirts right. and hats. And I haven't been there for, I think, a year, more than mm-hmm. a year now. I don't like walking there anymore because it's it's got nothing to do with flowers and uh, plants anymore. Yeah, I didn't anymore. feel like it. But here in, in the Netherlands in November, there are always two um, major trade shows. Where a lot of people mm-hmm. from the industry go to. And not yeah, there are not many florists visited. That's always the yeah, problem for, for me. It's a, a trade show. And it ends with the wholesaler buyers. Mm. So there's always a very close circle of maybe right. there are a thousand people right. who you see everywhere who make the decisions sure. for the flowers floral designers can use or not. Right. Which is kind of bizarre. So, so yeah, once again, to your audience also, if you have a special product and you want to write about it, uh, we are happy with every story. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic will only take a bit of time and yeah that's it. yeah tell tell the world about it right yeah, exactly. i mean that's, that's yeah. all about it. if you don't talk about it nobody's gonna know i mean yeah. it's just yeah. just is oh this is so good thank you arnold let's talk about emc so you're one of the yeah. speakers for emc um coming up in july i think july 13 14 their first yeah. inaugural event i'm super excited well i'm excited because a i'm gonna be you know on the panel there you know or mc in the panel if you will and i am an emc designer and I'm all for education and I just, you know, I just love all of this. So why did you say yes to the offer? Well, you kind of know me a bit now. I like to talk. I'm, uh, I'm, I don't like the word passionate. I think passion is awful word, but by the lack of any other, other word, I think the industry, I think, I think we need to, we need to talk about it with, with more passion. So, and mm-hmm. I think that's what EMC, I think what I like about uh, the, what I see as the EMC movement mm-hmm. or club or whatever you want to call it, it originates from people who are really understanding the power of nature. I mm-hmm. think, I think that's where it starts. I think, I think the, for, and, and, and that also, uh, that also resonates with my feeling about 
flowers and plants. And you're going back to your story that you would like to help florists and that you see, oh, I would love to. I don't care about florists if they go bankrupt or not. Or I think it's their own choice. It's the way you want to live. You want to live. So I, I don't feel I don't feel a calling to help. Yeah, micro, how do you say, individuals. Right. But I think as I'm a kind of more like a yeah, kind of macro guy. So I see mm-hmm. the world from from high and I look at the world and I see ah, plants and flowers are just uh, so important to everybody. We should teach everybody the importance of flowers and plants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if that takes you need being schooled about running a business to do, yeah, do that, it's totally yeah, fine. If you need skills uh, in techniques to uh, be a better yeah, craftsman, because I don't think it's about being creative, any, but hey, you need a, a craft in order to be uh, yeah, creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not everybody needs to be an artist, but just coming back to your yeah, question, I believe it's important to talk about the importance of flowers and plants to people. Okay. And, uh, and bringing beauty into people's homes and understanding the power of nature basically mm. yeah very well said it's maybe um, not an answer thing. to your yeah to your no yeah, question, it is but... it was it was the answer actually and thank you for that and the thing i can say is me being an emc designer and have gone through the process i everything you just said is just so spot on because the first thing that you learn is nomenclature. It's understanding the product, understanding what you're working with and respecting the product. So it's not about the technique. It's not about the business side at all. It's about really understanding the nature and how to incorporate that in your life or in your client's life or, you know, in a way that it makes the utmost impact essentially. So, um, yeah, no, thank you. And so your topic is going to be um, about the future okay, of the industry. So, yeah, the future of the industry and how online, which is basically awful, um, is going to change everything we perceive. So mm. now, what <laughs> I see is that um, the virtual world in which young people live and yeah. basically hang out with their friends. So when I was being on the streets at night in the 80s, it's very safe. It's not happening yeah. anymore. People are inside with their headphones on, the VR glasses or in front of the screen, hanging out with their friends. So this young generation, the generation Z, because mm. the millennials, I think they're just angry at us, the older generation. <laughs> uh, but generation Z, what are they going to do with flowers and plants? What Are, are they going to they buy can... flowers and plants when they're 30? Or are <sighs> they... Or 40 or not at all or so what are, what are they going to do and um, how is how does this connect to what you and I are doing right now right so I love the idea of your virtual gifting mm-hmm. you know yeah how do you say young people play games and they go to the next level they go to the next level they have got a new skin or they have this sort <laughs> you know what they do with the sort they can yeah, they can rent it out now to their friends and what? they get a kind of fee for it, really. So that's okay. I'm... An economy within. So the gaming. There, there's nothing being yet created in the real world, but in the virtual world, a creation is unlimited. Mm. The and for the economy, I'm an economist by origin. They always right. say what's good for the economy is advertising. Right. And war, because there's nothing produced what people really use. When I have this plant, mm-hmm. I only need one. I don't need a thousand. But in the virtual world, you can create as much as you want. Mm. And um, I'm really interested in the idea that somebody someday is going to create virtual flowers. Oh. And when I see a, a girl from my class, I'm 15, I'm in this game. And oh, there's this girl from my class. She's also in the game. What do I do? You say, hey, you want to have my sword? <laughs> or you're going to say, I have to look at, I made this flower for you. Uh, doesn't even have to be real. So it can be a kind of, how do you say, avatar-like flower. doesn't matter. Right. If we succeed as an industry to talk about the importance of flowers and plants, then we have to, in my opinion, we have to start with people living in games. 
hey, you have got a house in your game. It looks awesome. Where are the plants? Mm-hmm. Where are the flowers? My daughter is playing Sims. There are plants everywhere. She's mm-hmm. going to high school now, so we are telling her, you get your new room. And we should have done it last uh, last year already. Yeah, what do you want? She wants a wall with hanging plants. She's making it in Sims to show us what she wants. How so, interesting. So I'm going to buy some pellets. You know, they get wooden pellets. Right. I'm going to put them on the wall and I put plants in it. And then she's got a plant wall of green. The real one a, a, now. The real one. And where did she see it? How did she get into it? Did she see it on Pinterest? Did she? No, she saw it at Sims. Interesting. And that's very interesting. So I think this for the industry. fascinating and terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't at think the it's same terrifying time. at all. It's, I, I think it's the natural way of, of a new technology coming into right. all of our lives. If you've ever worn a really good VR glass, you've played a game. It's it's like, yeah, I, I, I think in the future, people get lost in the virtual reality and and, and come out to go to work or mm. they don't sit in front of the television anymore just to be programmed on what's coming, but they actually join uh, something they've got influence mm-hmm. on and are working with and make their own decisions. I think that's only good. Right. So, um, Interesting. It, you have you heard of the of the of the Beeple of the Beeple artwork which was sold at Christie's for sixty nine million? It was a digital artwork of five hundred art pieces. It was actually no. it, it was bought by a guy from the gaming industry, and really? there were digital artworks. And he opened galleries in the virtual games where you could buy them. And he hired interesting. Okay. And he hired a DJ. A real life who paid life in the virtual world. Okay. Two, mi- two million people visited it. So you are in right. this. You are in this club, partying Got it. at home, sitting with a glass of water, enjoying whatever it is you want to enjoy. So how are we as an industry are going to recognize that uh, we have to promote flowers and plants already? very young yeah so so that people when they walk in uh to a flower shop or they go to the ikea or whatever they do when they see flowers and plants they say yes that's what i need because Mm -hmm. it's good for right interesting okay i guess i never really thought about it in that kind of a crossover how to take it away from the digital into the real and i think the more the more time people spend in the digital world, in the virtual world, the more important the time outside of it will be to be it as good for you as possible. Right. And I think if we just emphasize that flowers and plants are uh, the, one of the most important things in your life, they are called essential. Eh? Because when we had to cough it, we get closure here. Uh, the flower shops could be open because they were seen as essential. Right. And I think that was really, really awesome. Yeah, it was here as well. Somehow a lot of floral shop remained open in some of the states because they, they fell under essential yeah. through the agricultural cultural vein, essentially. But yeah. yes, it was. And, um, and that's very powerful. That's I think. Yes. Yes, I agree. So, yeah. And- okay. You gave me a lot to think about. I'm super excited about your presentation. I have to listen. Like (laughs) I'm absolutely fascinated now. I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is interesting. It really is. And I'm I'm still a little terrified. I just think the digital world's growing faster than um, some people can keep up with. And I think as a result, you know, this, this friction that's being created, I'm not sure if that's necessarily good. For Gen Z, it's wonderful because this is this is the world they were sort of for up in, you know, this is what they know. So for them, it's a little bit different. For us, I'm borderline millennial, not <laughs> quite, but, you know, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm at the very first of the, you know, I was born in 1980. So this is where the millennial started. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. my way of thinking, I'm not, you know, because I wasn't, I didn't grow up in the US. So growing up in Armenia, I definitely am before millennial as far as yeah. the way of thinking goes so it's it's very it's very interesting the thing i can say that in us at least the millennial generation was all it still is all about the nature and the plants and bringing the nature in and that yeah. was and plants took a big you know had a big resurrection essentially yeah due here. to the millennials yeah, yeah yeah and so i'll be interesting to see what gen z essentially does for floristry 
I think hey, in the 70s, you also had a yeah, green plant trend. Yeah, everybody True. was buying the, the Alocasia, Monsteras, etc. And then we get to the 80s where everything was minimalistic. Um, the Miami Vice, very clean, True. very art, art deco. Glass and metal, yeah. Yeah, I think I think because of the uncertainty everywhere and you're not knowing what's true and what's not, that people go back into themselves. I think it's we go we are standing in front of an exciting time because I think everybody's being forced to really look at themselves. Yeah. So there are so many external things which you've got absolutely no control of, not knowing what's happening. Is this true? Is this true? The younger generation doesn't believe anything at all. Not from the mainstream to the conspiracy. They think it's all nuts. <laughs> they go to themselves and they they need to under and I think they and I think they will that's why I also believe the yeah, plant trend and the flower trend will only get bigger and bigger because scientifically proven plants and flowers are just good for you. Right. Period. So when you don't have when you come to a guy's home, you are dating, and he's got no plants versus he's got many plants. Who do you choose? The plant guy. The plant guy. Yeah. So there is a story um, which we published yesterday. Uh, I got a news uh, thing from Spotify where they recognize that uh, plant music and plant stories are trending. So they're actually people talking to plants, but they're also playing music for their plants. And there are <laughs> many, many podcasts about plants. Right. Black men with plants. How cool is that? I've never heard of that one. I have to listen have, to you're, that. You're, you have to check the website. I don't know where. It's somewhere in the news. I think it's somewhere on the top. But it's a great Spotify article with also links to all kinds of different podcasts about plants. It's trending. And I don't think it will go away. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Very happy to hear that. Wow, Arnold, I this this is fascinating. Thank you. I really greatly enjoyed our conversation. So for those who have no idea what Thirst is, where can they find it? How can they sign up and follow and you know subscribe, um, if you will, if you don't mind sharing those, that information? It's uh, Thirst with T-H-U-R-S-D. So it's uh, a short of Thursday. The name comes from uh, Thursday, which is normally the slowest day in the business. So I, we thought people have time on the Thursday to get the newsletter because we first only send out the newsletter on every Thursday. Now we do it almost every day. www.thirst.com. Uh, check it out and subscribe. It's on the bottom of the page. You can't miss it. And once again, if you have stories worthy of sharing to people who are interested, about flowers, plants, or anything related, just send it to uh, yeah, just send it to uh, to us. Hello at thirst.com. Fantastic! Thank you very much, Arnold. I cannot wait for your presentation for the EMC. I really want to listen more about the conversation we started about the whole digital world of floristry. That is such a new concept for me, and it is fascinating. But until then, um, till we talk again, thank you so much. Amit, I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey guys, that was it for this episode. I hope you liked this conversation, and I hope this encouraged you to share your knowledge. If you have anything to share that you think is going to benefit the industry as a whole, just like he said, send an email, send your articles, your blogs to Thirst, and from the sound of it, they'll be happy to publish it for you and get more eyes on your content. Um, with that being said, be sure to check out the EMC Go Live event on July 13 and 14 coming up. Other than that, I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Well, it's a wrap. Thank you, everyone, for listening, for tuning in to Viva La Flora Live podcast. We'll see you next week.